Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, good evening. Welcome to this special Times Red Box Uh, panel debate uh, just two days before the general election. We had hoped to be joined by a live audience here at the news building, but given the tragic events which happened right on our doorstep on Saturday night, we decided with the security cordon still in place that it was too much to expect uh, lots of people to come into the building. However, we still wanted the debate to happen, so I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Katie Perrier, a former Director of Communications at Number 10 uh, for Theresa May until the general election was called, Anthony Wells from the Polster YouGov, and Times columnists David Ivanovich and Hugo Rifkin. Uh, do try and join in as we debate all of the issues which have uh, played out during the election campaign, but also uh, what we expect to happen after Friday. Let's start with the issue that we didn't want to be talking about two days before the general election campaign, but the impact of the uh, events which happened just outside our building here on, on Saturday night. Katie, what impact do you think the terror attack will end up having on the election campaign, if any? Oh, a huge impact. Um, we will look back and actually this will be something that has dominated uh, at the beginning and towards the end of the campaign uh, and has uh, focused our attention on security services, uh, funding of security services, are there enough police officers on our streets and the debate as to who's going to be tougher on these terrorists as we move forward. And Anthony, from a polling perspective, would you expect, even at this late stage, to see a shift in, the, in terms of the issues that people are concerned about and security and terrorism becoming more prevalent? Yes, it, it will move that up in terms of what people think the most important issues are. Whether it changes anyone's vote is a different matter. It didn't... You know, we've, the sad truth is we've had more than one terrorist attack in this campaign, and the earlier one didn't change voting intentions at all. Whether it's different... You know, People can view one as an unfortunate thing that sometimes happens. When there's two, it might give people more of an air of the country really is in crisis, the country really is facing some serious threat, and perhaps change opinions more. But looking at the evidence from you know, the attack in Manchester, it didn't really change people's votes. David, what was striking about Theresa May's response on Sunday was it was a very different response to the one that she gave to Manchester. Manchester was very much, we will not be defeated and we stand united. But on Sunday, it seemed a much more political response and much more focused on being tough on terror and new laws and new powers and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but it's a bit of a problem, really, wasn't it? I mean, to say after London, enough is enough, as if Manchester hadn't been enough. And she didn't mean that. What she, meant, what she meant to say was, I'm really, really, really active on this subject and you can really trust me to get kind of dug into it. But also, I'm kind of aware that I've been Home Secretary for a very long time, so I'm slightly vulnerable. So I've got to be, um, I've got to sound kind of ultra-reliable. I mean, I have to say that I think the debate since the London attack has been absolutely woeful. I mean, it's been stupid. I've actually heard politicians say incredibly stupid things because they feel they have to. You have a response time of eight minutes by the armed police to the event. They're shot down in eight minutes. And then people are having a debate about whether we shouldn't have more armed police. In what way would that have helped us? In what conceivable way would that have helped us? But, it, but that's not what people are doing. What people are doing is kind of invoking their magic solutions. So climb, climb, you know, get, get, clamp down on the internet. That'll solve it. More armed police, that will solve it. Don't have anything to do with the Saudis, that will solve it, and so on. Um, the idea of carry on doing what we're doing, but do it as well as we can and slightly better, this doesn't seem to be an option. Isn't also part of it because uh, this is such a complicated problem to solve, and general election campaigns are especially all about quick fixes, yeah. straightforward things you can set up in a sentence, and actually it's shown up, actually what a pretty woeful campaign we've had so far with both sides putting out meaningless twaddle and they're confronted with a really big issue and they don't know what to do about it. What about you, Hugo? What's been your, your take on the political response? Well, I mean, I think Corbyn's been the most interesting because he'd had, he's had a good campaign. No one can deny that Corbyn's had a good campaign. But until up until the most recent terror attack, 
the reason why he had a good campaign was because he was being entirely honest about who he was and what he thought about things. Now, I thought that would be disastrous with the British public. It turned out not to be that disastrous. I, I was wrong about that. I mean, it's, not it, yet. Well, You're not but, wrong about it yet. Well, but it, it, it obviously didn't... It looked like it was doing better than expected. It wasn't doing well enough to get him over the line. And he's obviously had this sort of realisation that actually, if you want to win win an election, you sometimes need to say things that you don't actually think to expand beyond your base. And so he has been, I mean, there is a proper political debate you can have about terror and about how we respond to terror. And he has been saying things he does not think. His side of this debate is not that we have more police and that we crack down harder and that we do all the things that he says we should be doing. His side of this debate is completely different. His side of this debate is we have more community outreach and we understand more and we tolerate more, you know, which, which I, much of which I agree with. But he's, he's not been saying that. He's been being the kind of sort of like the, the authoritarian Tory right, uh, light. And it's, um, and it's odd. And, I, and, I, and I also, it also makes me wonder if we go on in the next parliament to be talking a lot about terror legislation, which we will be, and if he's still the leader of the opposition, which he may well be, what on earth he'll say? He wants lots more police with fewer powers. <laughs> he wants, some, I, he wants it, submarines without yeah, having yeah, no, to like, them. Exactly. It's like the UKIP's old armed forces policy, which is have a very big army and never use it. But what's, what's been really interesting about this is for the first time, actually, probably since 2010, Theresa May's record has been put on the line in a way that we haven't seen before, that her time at the Home Office was mostly spent out on the spotlight, occasionally popping up and then disappearing again. And she seems quite uncomfortable having to answer for that. Do you think that's fair? I think that, that you know, when you are ahead in the polls so far, then it's always your salute. And it's actually so much better to be the underdog in a campaign. I wrote in the Times only a few days ago about how going into a campaign when you are the underdog, everybody writes you off. No one has any expectations of you. When you are so far ahead in the polls and you're defending a seven-year Tory government, you are always going to be on the back foot on things. But, you know, her history and her kind of tradition of working at the Home Office up until now really has gone without scrutiny. You're right. And, you know, she, she was looking, at, looking after a department that saw a reduction in crime across the country. And so some of those things are coming, now coming home to looking at the decisions she made. Were they the right decisions? I fail to believe, and I'd like to see the evidence, how you can link more bobbies on the streets with batons to tackling terrorism, such as so many armchair activists have been talking about this week. Well, isn't, Brick- isn't part of the argument, and this is what some people have said, that if you had more community police tapped into communities, then people would be more... Because the story that we always seem to get after a attack uh, like this is a couple of days later, it turns out, alarm bells did ring, people did raise concerns, and nothing was done about it. Well, I would, I would rather be in a position where the security services tell us what we want and then ask our politicians how the hell they're going to fund it. And I'm not sure that it's, we can sit here and say we know exactly what the solution is. Do we need men, you know, policemen with batons on our streets? Or do we need undercover people in communities? Do we need more people who are kind of closer to the communities than regular coppers? I don't know the answer. OK, before we move on, just a reminder, if you want to post any questions in the uh, comment section underneath the video, do do that, or go on to Twitter and use the hashtag uh, red box debate. Uh, let's start with um, this question, though. So somebody's asked, well, the fact it's following on from that, has May's authority been irrecoverable? I'm, I'm going to try to pronounce that. Um, <laughs> that's, good, that's good, that's good that happened, because I thought for a moment you'd written it yourself. No, <laughs> and this is just proof that you Has happened. May's authority been badly damaged by this election campaign? By the camp, not just, but not by the events of the weekend, but by the campaign. She started out with extraordinary poll leading. Uh, but that's been gradually whittled away in a quite extraordinary way. I think it's been a, a pretty bad campaign in that regard, yes. So it's been really difficult to be on the front foot when you are not in control of the news agenda, you're not in control of what's going on over a six-week period. It was the right thing to do politically, calling an election, the position that she was in at the time, I was 100% for it. I was advising that actually you should be calling an election at this time. Jeremy Corbyn is on his backside, this is the best as you're going to get it, plus you need this mandate for Brexit. Um, and it's turned out that maybe that wasn't the right decision. So you were in Downing Street telling her to do it? We all were. What was her, so everyone was, Absolutely. apart from her? Yeah. And so what was her argument for not doing it? Well, she constantly said, well, I want to be, I said there wasn't going to be an election. 
Um, I'm a woman of my word. I don't want to keep on change, you know, want to change my mind. I did say there wasn't going to be an election. So when we were going around telling everybody at the time that actually there wasn't going to be an election, we weren't lying. We weren't misleading the, the political lobby. We genuinely thought at the time we weren't going to go for one. So did you really decide it up a mountain in Wales? You'll have to ask her that. I don't know. <laughs> Anthony, have you been surprised by the huge narrowing of the polls and the collapse in Theresa May's oh, poll waiters? Yes. Um, um, I, when the election was first called, obviously, as pollsters, we're coming off 2015 and getting it wrong. Um, our first reaction when it was called was, obviously, it was first to run around the office swearing and saying, oh, no, another election. No, that's the last <laughs> thing we need. Please, no, please, no, please, no. And after that, it was at least we have an election where we all know the result, where it's going to be a huge, great landslide. We can test our methods and nobody will ever know because you cannot get this election wrong when the Conservatives have got a 20-point lead. And, of course, six weeks later, the lead is between 12 points and one point. prediction turned out not to be true. It seems so unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> I measure. My predictions are notoriously rubbish. Yes, we'll, we'll see about that. Um, uh, Hugo and um, David, have you been surprised by Theresa May? I mean, I, I, I went early with my view that actually possibly she wasn't very good. Uh, and it seemed other people might have come around to that. Uh, I, I, I feel I... Feel <laughs> Well, you always tell me how brilliant she was. Yeah, profit. I've been, I've been, I've been heartened by it. I mean, I've, I've always thought she was platitudinous and uninspiring. And in, in a way, it kind of what this election has done is it, it almost shows you how, how far political communication has moved in 20 years in a way that we haven't quite noticed. She talks how government ministers all spoke pre-Blair in major government, in the Thatcher government, that's how they spoke. They had their, their Rolodex of platitudes and they trotted them out in interviews and they did the rottenmost not to say anything engaging or interesting or human. And she still does that. She is from that era and it shows. You realise now that through all the, even with all the spin of the Blair years, they tried to sound like people and they felt they were failing when they didn't sound like people. And, um, and when she became leader, and when she started, when she said Brexit means Brexit, and then she said Brexit means Brexit, and then she, meant, then she said Brexit means Brexit again, my overriding sense throughout the time, forgive me, was how are people falling for this shit? And um, turns out they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were, because they were 20 points ahead in the Well, they weren't, they weren't hearing it. And, and, and once they start hearing were it... Were you ever concerned that she wasn't very good? <laughs> I was a spokesman for the direct... I was a direct communications for Prime Minister. I have 100% faith in the fact but that she's the best person thinking, to lead our country. This Brexit means Brexit nonsense can't, it can't last forever. At some point we need to show more. Some point you just, and we just did, one more word. And we did kind of move <laughs> on. So word. we had a Lancaster House speak. <laughs> the Lancaster the House thing speak. is, you, we can all, we can all look, look back now and say, oh, we told you so. But actually, 20 points ahead in the polls. Yeah, and, sure. and when she was outside Downing Street and when she looked into the camera and she told people that she was going to tackle the unfairness of society, 100% but, people were behind her but, but, believed no, in but, that. But Katie, that was because Corbyn was so crap. It wasn't, I mean, a lot of us were saying at the time, actually, this slogan is meaningless. It's meaningless nonsense. And it doesn't take you any further. And if you were up against somebody who wasn't a, you know, a, a, a geriatric spart, then in that case, you might actually face a bit of a problem. You can um, and, 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 and in a funny kind of way, sorry, just kind of what that's, I think, what this has proved. What's happened is that Theresa May's gone out, she, she's, she's come out like a kind of robotic automaton. Actually, all automatons are robotic and so on. Um, and without a scintilla of optimism. So funnily enough, she's not kind of recreated the nasty party. She's, what she's kind of created is the horrid party, the kind of, the part, the, the, the narrow, no, the narrow party. So what is it that, you know, look, look at the polls with regard to young people, for instance. It's one of the things that's really kind of interested me. What is the offer? to younger voters, okay, so we make a presumption they're not going to vote, etc., so we don't have to care about them. What, what going forward has she said to them about their future? Grammar schools, cut immigration, um, and Brexit means Brexit. So I think you're right in the fact that the offer to the future has been lost in this election campaign entirely. And I think that's a mistake. But up until the election campaign, I think it wasn't a very optimistic message. It was about taking this country post-Brexit onto good, better things. And I think that when people look back, we can all have you know, quick, quick memories to forget. But when people look back, 
we were very concerned about this country post a, a referendum uh, result. And we were thinking, we were looking for stability, we were looking for that guidance, we were looking for someone in the Conservative Party to lead this country in order to take us through from de- very difficult times. And that's why she had a 20% point lead in the polls, plus the things she said about unfairness, about whether or not, you know, it's not where you come from, it's about where you're going. It doesn't matter if you're black, white or whatever, you should have an equal crack of society. Do you think the Labour leader had been a Tony Blair, she'd have had a 24-point lead at that point? She wouldn't, but she wouldn't have, she wouldn't have, she wouldn't have gone, to the, gone, gone to the country anyway. She, no, 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 she, no, she wouldn't have done the election. Well, OK, but, we, but uh, that's true, but we're going back to the 24-point I mean, lead point, because but, otherwise I mean, that's, that's the, the case. You, you can have and what I'm saying is it's a function of Corbyn. I mean, it's a function of what the opposition is that allows you to do this at all. It's, it often, it's often said that there are, two, there are two campaigns you can run in an election. There really, there are only two. You can be a government and you can say, we're on the right track and let's not ruin it. Or you can be an opposition and say, let's aim for something better. Now, I think a lot of the Conservatives... She is a lot of the Conservatives' problem. And I, I mean, I, you know, I, 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 was, I was writing long before it was fashionable. And probably, mainly because I wanted it to be true rather than maybe I necessarily felt it was, that this was not a strong, confident government with things to say. But regardless of that, in this election campaign, they have not been able to run on the things are on the right track, let's not break them. Because, because they have, since Brexit, they have been running on a we're going to change everything campaign. So they haven't been able to say, let's stay on the right track, because they haven't told us what the track is. Yet that's the campaign they tried to run. And so that's, that's why it hasn't worked. They haven't done the hopey changing yeah, that, thing. That's where it comes down to. When she was elected, she was, people did generally have very positive views of her because they did see her as very strong and capable. And Brexit means Brexit. may have been just a tautology, but it had a purpose. It was, my mission is Brexit, I am going to deliver it. Compare that to strong and stable, because strong and stable is, I'm strong and stable to do what? What is your strong strength and your stability provided? Yeah. What, are you, what are you offering for that? That's just a characteristic of how you deliver a plan. But what is the plan? I'm I'm the I find I don't buy this uh, entirely. I mean, not the, 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 what, the, way, the way this... <laughs> no, not the, way, not the way in which it's set up. I think it is actually possible... I was looking to forward to impassioned co- agreement. To, no, no. It, it, to conceive of a statement about the future which is less narrow and more positive. And they haven't done that. The things that they have decided to stress, what I think they've done is that they said right at the beginning, we have to propitiate the 52% who came out of Europe. No, that's not what you had to do. You were already out. You actually had to bring everybody else with you. You had to say, ours is a kind of broad tent. We are the, we are the party of all the Brits, the Leavers and the Remainers and so on. And the future that the Remainers wanted, we can also give you outside. Uh, in, we are going to be this kind of dynamic open, but they've not done that. And the immigration uh, is an absolute kind of classic. I know that the polls show that people want immigration controlled, etc. But when you're making a statement, that more kind of you know variegated, difficult to pin down statement about who you are and what kind of country this is going to be, and whether or not you are optimistic about its future and so on, you don't talk about limitation all the time. You talk about openness and so on. And that language, they lost it. They lost it completely, and it has gone completely to Corbyn, who is himself so much actually, more hopey changey. Mm. I mean, yeah. it's much more hopey changey, but actually more actually just as narrow and insular as as the Conservatives are. But okay. he's able to wear that mantle. Okay, but so this this is why. And Matt, forgive me if you're going to bring this up yourself, but this is why um, the social care stuff is so important. The dementia yeah. tax stuff mm. is so important because what that was. I mean, that that's that. The way that has played out is completely bizarre. You have uh, you have a, a, a Conservative Party that ends up accused of trying to take away people's inheritances, and a Labour Party that stands there defending inherited wealth. It's just completely <laughs> insane. But, but what, that, what that could have been, if they'd had the... And I'm not saying it would have worked, but if they'd had the confidence to go with it, that, that is hopey changing. That's change this unequal society and make it more equal. Uh, yes, it's got its flaws that some people pay more than other people and all that kind of stuff, but basically that is an, that is an assault on inherited wealth. That is an assault on the comfortable classes. And a, and a, and a truly conf, a confident comfortable Conservative Party that was going to be this different party that reaches into the Labour heartlands and changes stuff would, would not have buckled Same with that. tuition fees. Right. Same with tuition fees. You'd say that 11 billion quid you want to save on, on middle class students' tuition fees, we're going to put into, into, into mainstream education. Now, there's nonsense about bloody grammar schools and so on, but into mainstream education, the education that most people are going to get, because most of them are going nowhere near a grammar school and so on. Honestly, Katie, I don't understand it. <laughs> okay, I, I love insider. You're the insider, and you know this kind of Nick Timothy stuff and Fiona Hill. No, no, because she's. I know she knows. 
I don't. I honestly, as an outsider, I don't get it. But the, you, you've taken the grammar school thing, for example, so far because grammar schools was an indication that we just didn't think, and the Theresa May does not think that it's acceptable to ban a certain school. Doesn't mean you're going to have one in every street corner. It probably means you're going to have probably twenty in the country in total so more than you've got now. You knew everybody would it notice it. It's the Tory education offer. That's what it is. And it's something that she's cared about since she was a cabinet minister and but in she local council. She's only doing twenty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She should start listening then. I mean, it's a choice for local council. So if no one chooses to have one and nobody wants one, that will be the end of that. Right. It, so somebody, somebody's getting very cross and is put on. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's Facebook or Twitter saying, "Tell him to ask our bloody questions." <laughs> That I thought you were going to say, stop having a go at Katie. No, no, nobody said stop having <laughs> a go at Katie. If anything, I think they're, they're, quite, they're quite enjoying that bit. Um, so, uh, Jill Holdsworth says, people forget that Theresa May wanted to stay in the EU, so in fact she's pushing for the best deal on something she didn't want. You have to admire her for that. Well, yeah. That's her, you know, her job is to go take this through and get the best possible deal uh, out there. And so uh, if I had to put my money on... Corbyn doing a good negotiated deal for us at the, around the table, um, or Theresa May. I know where I'd put my money, and Who that's, do you the, think that's would the choice. Be strong and stable. <laughs> that's the choice. That is the choice. The next election, you can talk about all the other stuff, but the choice comes down to. That should do you be the choice. It's all got distracted by social care and lots of other. But the barnacle. Well, it just goes to show you, to elections are so unpredictable. At the beginning, I thought to myself, this is going to be quite boring, and you know, we're going to have six six weeks of this, and we're going to have a really thin manifesto, and we're just going to have to roll on to the election suppose, and be over it. It's not been it's not been boring. Suppose the best possible deal for Britain is to stay in the single market and accept the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice. Why do you, why do you hate Britain, David? Uh, yeah, Stop exactly. 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 And that's the way. That's the way in which it has come. <laughs> we're not actually allowed to discuss the best possible deal that we could get because it was already ruled out by Theresa May before we even got here in order to propitiate the people off to her right. And actually the amazing thing in this election campaign is the Tories have tried to make it about who do you want to do the negotiations and yet there's been absolutely no discussion at all about what, they what are. the deal should be. Yeah. It's all been... None. That's because nobody knows. In terms of, um, in terms of the but general shouldn't, public shouldn't the don't quite know what is a good deal and what is a bad deal. be saying what their priorities are and saying maybe now is the time maybe when she was 20 points ahead rather than one point ahead. <laughs> maybe that was the time to be honest and say there will be some immigration because we need immigration for, you know, skilled jobs or whatever. Just saying Brexit means Brexit and I'll do a better job than that idiot. That's not really... We still, we're going to get through this election campaign and we're still not going to know at all what Brexit looks like. Yeah, the Brexit election. Yeah. And we're no wiser. Let's, um, let's move on to, because I'm conscious there are now loads of questions, which is good. Keep posting them in the comment section and I shall continue to ignore them. Uh, Steve Charles on Facebook asks, will 18 to 24-year-olds make the difference? Anthony, what's the, what are the polls telling you? And this is, we'll get on to polls generally. Sure. I think you're on them now once you with this question. <laughs> well, once yeah, here, you're on them now. So, so the, the key, the reason that the polls are giving the Tories anything between a 14-point lead and a one-point lead is because different pollsters are treating how likely people go and vote differently. Exactly. Um, polls showing a great big lead for the Tories are ones who are assuming the same turnout as 2015 um, um, because polls in 2015 got it wrong and got it wrong because of having too many young people who go out to vote. So if no young people come out to vote and Jeremy Corbyn hasn't infused any young people and turn turnout doesn't rise, you should expect a big Conservative win. If Jeremy Corbyn has infused young people to some degree, then those polls will likely overstate the Tory lead and you'll get a smaller Conservative win. You're still likely to get a Conservative win, whatever happens, unless every young person in the country votes, which are not going to. So you, Gov, are more on the side of thinking that young people will turn out? Yeah, yeah young youth turnout will rise, not up there yeah. you know, to about the level it was in 2010. And is that because they are feeling guilty about the fact they didn't turn out when they said they were going to in the EU referendum? So they went around talking about how it, we must remain and then they didn't bother to sh shove their well, backsides the, over the, to the polling booths. But the people who said that did turn out. I mean, this is, this yeah. is why, this, is why the, this whole calculation's a bit weird because the sort of people who are going to be enthused by Jeremy Corbyn one way or the other, or even not enthused, but at least even going to notice him, are going to turn out. The idea that he's going to reach into people who are, you know, it's like it's like when when I when I went off into the West Country to to, to figure out what was going well, on there. Where did you go? Uh, <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get, um, Leo, we'll get there. That's a whole but, that's a whole hour. About, 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 about half the young people I spoke to were incredibly politically informed, and they were going one way or the other, and the rest of them were sitting on a bench with a can of beer, and they're like, I'm not interested in that. And 
And you can talk about whether Jeremy Corbyn is attracting young people or not, but what you're really talking about is whether he's attracting people who are already politically engaged. What his, how he's going to attract the people who are sitting on the bench with a can of beer, you know, talking about something else. Of course he's not. No. <laughs> because young people are always less likely to vote, and most young people are always going to stay at home. But it's not a case of it's 44% every election like right. that. Okay. Sometimes it's 50%, sometimes it's 40%, sometimes it's 35%. So even amongst low turnout, there is variation. Okay. And where that variation is will make a big impact. So what's made you, Gov, side more on they, won't, they will turn out rather than... What's made you believe Basically. the young people this time? It's the we person don't edging off them, the actually. edge of the pitch <laughs> we don't who's, believe who's finished their can. <laughs> yeah. is, that, is that what you're talking about? I'm bored with this bench. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try socialism. It's yeah. not the person in the middle of the thing. Yeah. It's because even after we've assumed the ones who say they're going to vote this time but didn't last time, even after we've discounted those and assumed half of them won't actually turn out, even then, after downweighting all these people, it's still up a bit. So let's just, as we're on polling, let's talk about the YouGov model. <laughs> it was on the front page of your... It was on the front page of the Times, because the YouGov do, do our poll. Mm -hmm. so, your, your, so what you're trying to do is take lots and lots of polls and the results you've got from those and see what that would mean in individual seats. So at the moment you've got, uh, it's always down to 304, Labour up to 266, Lib Dems up to 12, UKIP on none, the Greens on one and the SNP on 46. Talk us through the model and why. Why? What, what's it telling you? <laughs> you are talking to the humble bloke who just writes questions, understands them, rather than all the people with PhDs who do all the stats things. The point of this is everyone always talks about general elections being 650 fights and not one fight. And, but yet, you can't afford to do 650 polls. So the model is an attempt to get about 50,000 50, or so interviews and then calculate using the demographics that correspond with voting intentions and the demographics of each individual seat what the model what the result will be in individual seats and so obviously it is it isn't perfect if you look on the model the error bars are about 35 seats either way so you know it's still not that precise but it's an attempt to get around that let's just assume there's a uniform swing let's see if there's patterns of different types of because seats because one going of the problems with polling directions. now is uh, that the country is so fragmented. That the Tory Labour fight in London is different to the one in the South East. It's different to the Tory Lib Dem fight that might be going on in the South West. The headline figures we get don't tell us anything about what the SNP are doing in Scotland. So this is an attempt to try and... Yeah, get round those. So things like, one of, the one of the questions at this election is, do the Conservatives do much better in sort of northern towns that voted, for, voted to leave and fall back in places that voted to remain? And it's an attempt to get things like and that what's your, what you, what's, what's it telling you? Is that, is that yeah, it, it does pick up. So in that, you'll get chances of Conservative gains in places like Stoke or Middlesbrough and places like that, and you'll get chances of the Conservatives losing seats in Brighton, Kemp Town and places like that. Um, somebody's asked, Will Brown asked on Twitter, what's an acceptable margin of error in polling? What, to <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. To who? I mean, statistically, it's about 2 or 3%. But... What we actually get judged by is whether we get the story right. If yeah. you've got an election that's, that's you know, 51-49 and you're on the wrong side of that 51-49... Or 52-48, for example, just, yeah. plucking, the, <laughs> just, just plucking numbers exactly. out. Exactly. Yeah. Even if you're within that 3% margin of error, you've seemed to have failed. It's if, you call, if you call it for one side... Of course, there's, yeah. a, there's, a, there's a fabulous absurdity in this, which is... The, the <laughs> there's polls, a fabulous absurdity. Well, no, there is, but the, the polls, <laughs> polls are not actual votes. So, of course, they've got to be... Are you going to sound like a politician and say, there's only one no, poll no, no, you're no. interested in? Well, That's on polling day. Uh, actually, in that, in that sense, politicians are completely right to say it. Uh, they're not right to say, this doesn't kind of tell us anything about the state. And usually it's said by people who are 100 points behind or whatever it is. You know, yeah. Yeah. Whilst We're spending gonna, a fortune yeah, on polling whilst, themselves. Whilst they're spending a fortune on polling themselves. And they, and they, and they do kind of know. <laughs> um, but because, it's, it, because, it, because it isn't actually the vote... It can't, it can't be right. Because it's much easier to tell you, go, oh, yeah. I'm going to vote Labour, and then you, you do you bother or do you switch or whatever. Okay, so in a, inside a campaign right now, because so you always know a campaign is in trouble and they start saying, well, our internal polling tells something different. I think, 
But you're, you're still just using the same polish. No, they mean actually inside them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the water. That's <laughs> 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 right, right, hold on, I'm just consulting my internal polish. <laughs> <laughs> oh. that what you really think of? So what's going on? We'll, we'll leave I'm just David in the bowels for a moment. That's horrible video. Katie, what's going on inside a campaign now? They are presumably doing their own polling. So there would be 48 hours uh, out of a poll, out of an election, would be your final poll to tell you really what's so going that's right, on. That's right now. And it'll be right now. So right now they'll be getting the constituency breakdowns. They'll know where they've got, you know, real battles. They'll know where they're working very comfortably. And they'll know what, you know, the, the final push where they've got mm. to go. And so that's where you direct some of your kind of teams to go and uh, go out and fight. So I hear that, you know, momentum of 500 strong in somewhere like Ealing because they're just ploughing it in crazy mm -hmm. in the hope that they might cause an upset there. So um, that, that's what you use your internal polling for in the last few days. Do you mean, do you mean Momentum aren't using internal polling very well? Well, they, they must know that Ealing is a possibility for them because they are using some kind of you know, direction internally, which I presume is polling, to, to put Num high numbers Why of do people. You that? <laughs> because that's what normal people do in politics. But one of the shocking but things is Jeremy Corbyn's just been going to rock solid Labour. He's been pulling huge crowds. He was in Gateshead last night. Because he likes the crowd and because he wants to show that the TV pictures of yeah. thousands of people coming out to support him. It's not about winning that seat. That seat is home and dry. It's about the pictures. But also, there is this. Um, uh, so somebody. Well, I'll come on to that Adam Foster's question in a moment. So as we're drifting into Jeremy Corbyn, there is this idea that what he's trying to do is just beat what Ed Miliband got, 30.4% in 2015. So he can pile up votes in Gateshead, mm -hmm. and as long as he can show, well, look, we're making progress, even if they make no progress in seat numbers. Um, and then so somebody said, as Labour achieves 35% or more of the vote, and Jeremy Corbyn remains as party leader following an election contest, what should moderate party members and MPs do? Shoot well, themselves. <laughs> they have a new party. I mean, the, one thing that this election is, is it, it is a test of the politics of attracting a crowd. You know, I've got, I interviewed, it was, it was off the record, so I shouldn't tell you who it was, but I interviewed a... Who was it? I interviewed a rock star last year. Oh. And he, and he, and he, and he was, he was saying, he was well, saying, what, he was, he, he was saying all, all this stuff about Corbyn's doing a speech and he's speaking to 20,000 people. He's like, I can get way more than 20,000 people. No one says I should be Prime Minister. Um, which I thought was a, a fair point. You know, it's, it, when, you're, when you're selling politics as a, a fun thing to do of an evening, it, it has no bearing on anything else at all. Yeah, um, did you know that probably Jeremy Corbyn's crowd at Gateshead was less than the average home attendance for, well, I don't know, Yeovil Town? There you go. Yeah. Stop, we'll get to Yeovil, don't we? We'll we'll there we'll is a mini obsession do with this poll. Uh, do Yeovil. keep posting your questions in the comments uh, section at the bottom. But you, I do promise we'll get to them. So Jeremy Corbyn, uh, he's had a good campaign, hasn't he? If Theresa May's not had a good campaign, Jeremy Corbyn, against a low base of a man who couldn't, as David Cameron's mother famously said, do his tie-up properly, He's had a good campaign. Yes. He put forward what the Westminster establishment said was a completely crackers manifesto. But actually, people quite liked it because there was lots of free shiny things in it, and it's gone and down quite it. well. He hasn't lost his temper during the campaign in the way that we might have seen him before. He's been very much Monsieur Zen, as he likes to call himself. He's had a good campaign, hasn't he? David, you're a fan. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you know? I don't. I mean, he hasn't had a bad campaign like Theresa May's had a bad campaign. Um, but if you were to say compare him, I don't know, with Emmanuel Macron, you're not really <laughs> going to tell me that you think actually you've come out of the end and saying, you know, I went into this thinking he was a shambles. I've come out of it thinking that actually the country will be very safe in his hands. I mean, that's not very likely. What you're going to say probably is I like him more than I thought I did. Um, and, and that's true. I mean, short of doing Strictly Come Dancing, which is how Ed Balls got back into the favour <laughs> of the nation, etc. Um, the, way in which he, the way in which he speaks is a way in which people quite like. The, people, the sort of people who, who would tend to like that kind of thing do quite like it. And he's not, he's not done a Diane Abbott on, on anybody. Um, uh, She's really. had a good campaign. Or a, yeah, <laughs> or a Michael Fallon. Um, he's not done that. So, I mean, in that sense, but it's kind of, to say it's a good campaign is a sort of rather weird thing. It's Jeremy not Corbyn's got to one point behind the Tory party. And the Tory party is on the mid 40s. I mean, Je Jeremy Corbyn is within one. He's had a great campaign. I mean, it's yeah. like he, he, okay. I mean, you've got to you've got to look at where he started from and where it, where he's got to look. I, I hold my hands up. I wrote what a year ago, two years ago, when during, it was during his last leadership contest. I genuinely believed that anybody who would ever vote for Jeremy Corbyn had voted for him in that leadership contest, and that was it. That was his ceiling. It might be this huge amount of the Labour Party. It was never going to be anyone else. Completely wrong. He can go. 
he can go all the way up to losing an election. <laughs> um, but, um, but I mean, you, you still, you've got to, I mean, it, his, he has shown that his, um, at the very least, he will have shown, I think, that his, his leadership of the Labour Party, it might not have been a winning prospect, but it was not a joke. It was not a joke. If he gets, if he gets within, within 8% of, of, of what the Tories get, it was not a joke. But, but when you say he's had a good campaign, what does that mean? I mean, you, you, you quite, it, it, are we to take this simply because, and of course it is quite a big simply, he's got to that level in the polls, and therefore, yes. therefore it must be good, even you can't quite see what the goodness of it is. No, look, okay, but you, you, you've, got to, you've got to look at what he's managed to do, aside from just the, the numbers thing. What he's done, look, the, the main thing he's done, I think that Labour has done in this election, is not lost any votes to the Lib Dems. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get, I'm sure we'll get on to the Lib Dems. Have you done that? Maybe the Lib Dems. Well, How like, are they doing in Yeovil? <laughs> oh God, Yeovil. No, but it's but it's look, look, look it, it turns it turns out look, it turns out that Tim, Tim Farron is the Jeremy Corbyn of the Labour Party. Theresa May is the Jeremy Corbyn of the Conservative Party. Jeremy Corbyn isn't even the Jeremy Corbyn of the Labour Party. Nobody saw that coming. He deserves <laughs> some credit for it. And what we've seen is that if at the beginning of the campaign, loads of people were going to defect from Labour to the Tories because they couldn't bring themselves to vote for Jeremy Corbyn, but Theresa May seemed to know what she was doing. Both, both campaigns now seem to be sort of in this sort of uh, position where they, they could both repel people. So some people want to vote Labour, but they don't want to bring themselves to vote for Jeremy Corbyn. Some people are thinking about switching to the Tories, now aren't too sure about Theresa May, and it's where that sort of all shakes down in the end on Thursday. And I suspect a lot of people still don't quite know. One of the things that's interesting about this is that we've had a long-term secular decline in the two-party vote right the way since the mid-50s and very much so since, since the uh, mid-70s. And the polls suggest, yeah. do they not, that all of a sudden this has been thrown into sharp reverse, mm. which is a really, really kind of odd thing. And the question is whether or not that is a sharp, that people have rediscovered their love for the two main parties or whether actually this is a hiccup um, and what is going to come out of this eventually will be some kind of realignment or, or some kind of uh, additionally strong, uh, an extra strong third party, a new third party. It's, it's, uh, because, it's because the centre is vacant. They're not fighting from the centre. Labour is fighting from the left and so it sucks up, sucks up the Green Party again and, and points left and the Tories are fighting from the right and so suck back in UKIP and there's nobody sitting in the centre. That's, I know, which, that's taking from either. Which violates all the rules that we think we've learned over the years about let me, how... Let me it only violates let me, because nobody's there. Let me yeah. bring in a question. Lydia yeah. Hyde on Facebook says, what happened to the once holy ground of the electorate, the centre ground? It seems they've both gone to the extremes at either end. And that... Who is on the centre ground? We don't have a Macron. Well, would you say that Theresa May is on the centre ground? I would have said, during the time that we were at number 10, we were absolutely trying to capture the centre ground and we were going after people that could have supported the Labour Party that might not have gone as far as going for Corbyn but may well have been a moderate Labour supporter may have gone after Blair and, and, and gone after them. Hey, I'm no fan of fox hunting. I know so, you're not. I'm not, so, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not there. Honestly, Katie, <laughs> so, please, I'm not attacking you at all because you're the expert on the Conservatives. You, you really generally In South East London. Some hounds. It rocks. There's probably it, more foxes in there. There are. We feed them all. That's the problem. This is, this is a good question. So Philip Taylor on Facebook says if Katie could change one part of the Tories comms strategy for this election, what would it be? I think it would be to reverse and go back to what we were talking about during those 10 months. There was a reason why people felt they could chime with some of the things that she was saying, both on the steps of number 10, but in the, you know, the, the Lancaster House speeches, some of the big set pieces that, that she had. She did a big piece on the turn of the year about mental health, and we, were, we had plans about how we were going to develop mm. our mental health offer. You know, these were issues that people really gave a damn about, and they, people cared, and they felt that, that we chimed with them. We were very much taking that centre ground, and I feel that's been lost in this election. Anthony, do you think that Theresa May can recover if she wins on Thursday? Is a decline in personal ratings permanent, or can you win it? I mean, it took George Osborne sort of three years, two stone and a haircut to turn around his, uh, <laughs> his reputation after it took a nosedive. Can, can politicians <laughs> turn it around? They can turn it around. Whether Theresa May can, I don't know, because... It, it's like, in many ways, it's like Gordon Brown when he started. And he, he started off being seen as tough and strong <laughs> and reliable and then didn't call the election, it never was, and it just went overnight. And it's that same thing. If that you're suddenly not seen as tough and strong, it's incredibly hard to 
build it up once you've been seen as weak once, then you're never seen think, as... You know, you know what, thinking about it, is that I think tough and strong was just the wrong thing to go for. I mean, Kate, what Kate's just said about mental health, what she was actually aiming for is open and empathic. And that's probably what she should have gone for, and healing. And what she went for is tough and strong. And I don't, we don't, and I don't really think, I, I don't, I think actually, you're probably right. She could, if she gets a decent majority, by going back to being very open. I mean, the whole business of not being at a debate or of not being available, of that kind of ridiculous interview given to the guy from Plymouth. You know, I know that most people didn't get to see it, but it was kind of expressive of it, where some poor old local journalist from Plymouth who's genuinely trying to get a question just gets a complete set of nonsense from her. So she could have been much more generous with him. She just, you know, she could have been much, much more open. And that, I, I mean, you, you know her better, which is why I'm kind of referring to again, not because it's your fault, but because you know her. <laughs> Although it is I your fault. I think he is just yeah. by Boris Johnson, no, no, because, <laughs> Yeah, no, he really is your fault. Thank you. <laughs> right, he, was, he, was, he, was all, he was absolutely on the level, that guy, before you met him. <laughs> So, uh, Andrew Agnew says on Facebook, if Theresa May just scraped home, will she learn she has to change her control freakery, a la Gordon Brown, and not surround herself with her chosen loyal advisers and ministers? Philip Hammond might, may not be the most inspiring minister, but we don't want a coterie of university friends, just assume is Damien Green, and home office acolytes. What do you think, Hugo? Do you think... Well, she's, she's only got one university friend, doesn't she? And he's already there, so that's, that's not going to happen. Um, I think... I, I... I find it hard to imagine that she's going to... She's got a problem with personnel, right? And, and I, th I think she's going, to find, she's going to find it hard to draw back the kind of, essentially the Cameron Osbornites into the Cabinet unless she is prepared to do a sort of government that they want to be a part of. Mm. And, uh, and I don't think she wants to. I mean, you know, so someone like, someone like, like our, 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 our valued colleague, Michael Gove, for example, if he were to go back into the cabinet, it's hard to see how his politics are going to match Theresa May's politics. Isn't, isn't the so truth, somebody's got to change that. Isn't the truth, Katie, that someone's enthusiasm for me that the cabinet probably overrides most concerns about government policy? Oh, they, yeah, they worry about that tomorrow, this is about today. Look at this funny little smile. <laughs> Loving the questions he's throwing at me this evening. Uh, okay, well, let's, uh, let's just we'll, we'll, um, push on through. Oh, it is another good one for you, Katie. Reese Hayes on Twitter says, if the whatever, Lord, we can all have a go at this, we can all have a go, it's fine. If the Tories don't win a landslide, do you think it's likely that May has removed his PM by OMPs? No. If so, who is best placed to succeed her? No, it's not going to happen. Next question. Is that because she's going to win a landslide? The next question was who's best placed to, re to replace yeah. her. That was the next question. <laughs> <laughs> what, do we, what do we think? I mean, if she falls short, you, what's your current prediction? For? 80, 80, majority. And I've got money on this riding, I'd like to point out, because I do like a political bet. You told, so. you told Redbox podcast listeners a few weeks ago, 100, so I hope that nobody put any money on it based on uh, your... What do we think? How, what's the point at which well, but it's, her you, position you, you is... Got, you, you've got to think, who's, who's going to kill her? The problem is, if she fails in this election, then she is failing from the right. And it's quite weird for the... And it's normally the right of the Tory party that, that sticks in the knife. And it's quite weird for the right to come out of this election if she fails or doesn't do very well and go, you know what, the problem is we weren't UKP enough. Because that is just not going to be the story. And so it's quite... And given that that whole side of the equation is not going to be there killing her, it's are hard to see who is going to kill her. But they never know that it's not that side of the story. They never know that. <laughs> That's the problem with zealots. They never know that. Mm. They never know it's their fault because it never is their fault. It's always somebody else's fault. <laughs> but also, fault. given the shambles, and it's not even a year yet, but given the shambles of the Tory leadership contest last year, there aren't exactly low... Given it, the, the final two came down to Theresa May and Andrea Ledson. Right? She's still there. She's still there. <laughs> yeah. Her day may, may yet come. We haven't seen an awful lot of her during the election campaign. <laughs> Have we, Katie? No, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> she's, probably, she's, um, probably, she's probably busy with her children. <laughs> Hugo, Hugo's, as a mother, Hugo's as a logic mother. has left us with Ken Clark, <laughs> by the way. But he's starting again. He'll be back with us, with his father of the house. And he is the author of A Bloody Difficult Woman. Exactly. Yeah. So he's to blame for that one. A much better uh, election slogan. One um, uh, <laughs> you were talking about, UK, Lydia Hyde on Facebook says... Uh, are the Conservatives right to welcome UKIP in and the shady end of the right wing so readily? I didn't see the posters that said UKIP welcome here. <laughs> I've not seen that on the slogan of the Fruit band cakes and everything. welcome back. Yeah. I mean, you know, if people will feel the, ne feel the need to vote Conservative because the party that represented them before has completely collapsed 
and they were really keen to see the country Brexit. And by the way, I voted Remain, so you know I'm no kind of massive flag-waving Brexiteer. Um, then, of course, you know they, they can choose whoever they want, but there's no absolute, you know, push from the Conservative Party to go and scoop up millions of UKIP votes. Isn't the truth? Mm. The, the reason that UKIP have collapsed is because they've lost their reason for existence, and they've got a Wally as the leader. That, it, it's, it's also, I mean, I, I, just after the European elections. I wrote that this was the peak of UKIP's electoral fortunes and it would be downhill from there for a whole series of kind of complicated reasons. Now at that point, of course, they hadn't called the referendum and so on. I would have given that as an additional factor as to why UKIP would lose its uh, raison d'etre. It's very, very difficult for third parties. Mm. Right-wing third parties are incredibly quarrelsome because it's always about whose turn it is to be the Fuhrer. Always. I mean, that's always like, it's amazing how they all kind of get buggered up with that one and so on. So they get that uh, people go into them for a while and then find out what they're actually like. So kind of classically, you get UKIP councillors. You get eight kind of UKIP council councillors elected to the council. Within about a month, you've got four left because four of them have defected to independent. And two Two months later, one of them's been arrested for paedophilia or embezzlement. Or embezzlement. These the views of David Aronovich alone. No. <laughs> they are the views of the time. But there, but, <laughs> but there was, was something that, that UKIP did suffer from more than any other party was the, the representatives, both a sort of a, a, a parliamentary and, well, not the well, aspiring parliamentary and even a council level, were dramatically different from the voters. I'm still not quite clear who UKIP voters were. I think there was quite a strong kind of sort of just sort of yeah. anti-establishmenty thing going on with UKIP voters. And of course, UKIP councillors were the kind of people who have gollywogs in their windows, but their voters weren't necessarily. If that doesn't get them going on Facebook, I don't yeah. know what will. Um, although they're probably not joining in. Uh, anyway, let's try and get through some questions. We've got about a quarter of an hour left, so let's try and get some, through some more questions. Hillary. Howarth on Facebook says, I expected a boring campaign, but things have brightened up. Personally, I would love a hung parliament. So much healthier for democracy than the landslide Mrs May clearly hoped for. Is anyone hoping for a hung parliament? <laughs> we, we, all, we all just want to get this week out of the way and then never talk about politics again. I mean, a hung parliament's not going to work this time because there's not going to be a, there's not going to be a coalition. So, so a hung parliament just means we get to do this again in seven months' time. Nobody, so please, God, no. Nobody wants that. Yeah. What, what's I agree the, with that. Uh, your, your model is pointing towards a hung parliament. What's in your, what are your innards telling you? Is that likely? Oh, no, I poll. expect we'll get... Yeah, my guess would be 30, 40, 50 majority still. So I don't think we'll get one. There we go. Uh, let's uh, try another one. Uh, I'm an ex-Labour voter, says Oliver Gradwell on Facebook, struggling to return. Corbyn, McDonnell and Abbott aside, I still struggle with the credibility. That's right, apart from that, Mrs. Lincoln. How did you enjoy the play? <laughs> I still struggle with the credibility and quality of the current shadow cabinet. Should maybe they quite like Corbyn, McDonald and Abbott, they're the stars. Should Labour win? <clears throat> There's quite a lot in this question of it. Should Labour win? Will the Shadow Cabinet remain the same and how would it be improved? Yvette Cooper, question mark, Mr. Blobby, etc. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that he wants to latch on to there? I'm not familiar with what Mr. Mr. Blobby was he Ed Balls was he involved was he involved in the Ireland peace process? I don't remember. Are we um, are we being out of touch metropolitan elite by assuming that we don't need to worry about what it's a fair question in an election where one of the polls is between one and two percent uh, and so on because you know. If you're sitting outside, why should you believe the 12% poll more than the 1% to 2-3% poll and so on? So yeah. it's, it, you, know, you, you have to conceive it's within a possibility if you use a certain kind of readings of the poll. So the question is, should it just happen that Labour takes more seats than the Conservatives? Very, very unlikely, but should it just happen? What kind of Labour part, cabinet, shadow, what kind of Labour cabinet would there be? And it is a good question in this respect, which is you're still going to have the centre-leftist dominating Labour MPs, because momentum didn't get all their people in before the election. Actually, the election going early was one of the things that made sure that they couldn't get all their so people in. So the people who were selected there. and announced now, On that, the other yeah. hand, it strengthened Jeremy Corbyn's position with the membership. So what you've got is a kind of really sort of strange warfare position, warfare from one issue to the next, um, from defence to, you know, to the Home mm. Office and so on, with, with the cabinet that would be fight actually at each other's... But 
But does Max. that does that stop if he's prime minister? I mean, I know we're in, we're in, the, in the in the realms of sort of like. I well, know you've had a beer, Hugh. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but look, I'm, I'm I'm serious. You know, you talk about how you know what 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 a shadow cabinet minister, what an MP wants mm. is to be in the cabinet. If you have Prime Minister Jeremy Corbyn, yeah. are. Is there a sizable constituency of MPs who swallow their objections in order to be foreign secretary? But can you imagine that bit where he says, I've had an audience with the Queen, and after telling her that I think she's a relic, <laughs> I've said in her offer to form a government. Now, on the subject, given, although Oliver wants to depart the issue of uh, John McDonald and Diane Abbott, one of the really struck things the last few days, Katie, is how often Theresa May is talking about Diane Abbott. I mean, it partly must because poll. it's obviously polling incredibly well. Her very early, because these things take a long time to sort of seep into the national budget. Her very early interview in the campaign, when she wanted to pay policemen £30 a year, seemed to have struck home. I remember during yeah. the Eurovision Song Contest, loads of people putting on Twitter, we now go to the UK for their scores, and there's a picture of Diane Abbott. <laughs> the and thing you sort is... of think, well, that's the point where you've become a punchline, it's got cut through. And that, that, it's one of the only things Theresa May now talks about, is Diane Abbott. He must poll well, but the thing is, in jobs like mine, you can work all day, all week, to try and achieve something, and realistically, you go home, and you know in your heart of hearts that not much of it has landed. You know, you're talking to the Westminster bubble for a lot of the time, driving me nuts, because I really want to talk to people in Hull and people in Middlesbrough and people in Yeovil. And, um, we'll get to your don't worry. And I, I, I never... I never... <laughs> you know, the frustrating thing would be that, you know, some of the things that did get through were the things I didn't want and some of the things I've been pushing all week and really trying to get you know, better home didn't get anywhere near it. And so what it showed very early on, when people are sharing this stuff on Facebook, when people that are not engaged in politics are going, hey, up, have you seen this video from Diane mm-hmm. Abbott? That's the kind of breakthrough that you can only dream of. And people kept on sharing it and people kept on seeing it. And so everybody now knows that Diane Abbott can't add up. She doesn't know her brief. She doesn't really know what she's talking about. And she is a laughing stock on TV. And, you know, you shouldn't be... We get accused of, you can't say that. She's a woman in politics. You can't say that. You might be racist, this, that, and the other. No, she's just rubbish at her job. Nobody's going to leap to her defence. I think that's... Uh, uh, it does poll incredibly badly. Yeah, and people know, this, know yeah. who she is. That's yeah, the yeah. point. You so can't be rude about any other Labour cabinet yeah, no member. point saying members. Richard Bergen, who is <laughs> comprehensively the most useless person in politics. <laughs> and that, I completely doubt because nobody no knows No one knows who they are. But every, no point. people do... Ordinary that's people know who Diane Abbott is. And think she's rubbish. She <laughs> yeah. Right, let's move, because we've got about ten minutes left. I feel like the Yeovil issue is looming large. Cameron Mercer on Facebook asks, are the Lib Dems dead and buried? So the reason we were talking about Yeovil is because uh, Hugo toured what used to be Lib Dem heartlands to try and find any fi- evidence that Lib Dem fight back. And I joined Hugo in Yeovil where we looked for uh, evidence that Lib Dem fight back. And it was very romantic. Um, no, uh, are, the, are the Lib <laughs> Dems dead and buried? The honest answer is yes. Yes, they are. Um, the problem they have, I think, in the West Country is that the West Country is increasingly like everywhere else. And so people are voting on the same lines as everywhere else. Um, and so the Tories are doing very well in the West Country. Um, but also, and, and, and people who are, wanted, are casting an anti, anti-Tory vote are often, if not voting Labour, then wanting to vote Labour and only voting Lib Dem because of this historical understanding that the Lib Dems might win better. But I think a greater problem that the Lib Dems have is that they're not the party they've been pretending to be. When, um, I've forgotten her name, Sarah Olney won in, in Richmond against Zach Goldsmith, uh, the Lib Dems showed a glimmer of sort of being this metropolitan, friendly, centrist, Europhile party that could maybe scoop up everybody, really everybody to the left of George Osborne, you know, and maybe even a bit to the right of George Osborne, just sort of, you know, metropolitan centrists who believed in a sort of European model of government, all that kind of stuff. Rubbish. It's just not who they are. They are they are anti-establishment, rural, anti-everything, anti-government people who do not want to be in power, who are ruled by Paddy Ashdown in a big house in Yoga. Sounds, sounds like Hugo's rewriting cold comfort. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, well, one of the things we all talked about when we went to the, the village where Paddy Ashdown. Yeah, lived. I was, we we, it was well Wickham, wasn't Hampton. it? Yeah. It was. I mean, I'm from Somerset, and my mother-in-law lives in Yeovil, So, yeah. full disclosure. <laughs> It's a lovely place full of lovely people. But <laughs> in Norton Hampton, it was weird because nobody wanted to talk about politics. And they said the reason they wouldn't talk about politics was because of Paddy. Yeah. Paddy in the village. He has his ears. He has his ears everywhere. He knows what's happening. And, he's a, and, and he knows how to kill people with his bare hands. Yes. Bare you, go, you, go into, right. you go into the village shop, they will not talk to you. You pass people on the street, they go, no, I'm not talking about that. It's, like, it's almost like they're frightened. 
almost like it eats people. The, the, the other point is, is it not, which was up until the coalition, the Liberal Democrats were a very good repository for what we used to call the protest vote. Yeah. Yes. And, so on. Uh, and then they couldn't be the protest vote anymore. Almost all the protest vote in this election is going to the Labour. Party. Yes, they've taken you that back. You can see it. It's the yeah. same thing. The so, tuition fees problem yeah. is... I really think the tuition fees aspect of it is almost is almost overblown. What people, what Lib Dem, historical Lib Dem supporters really object to about the Lib Dems is that they were in government. Yes. They do not vote for these people to be in power. <laughs> that is not what they want from the people they vote for. They want to vote for people who Except are going to- Except on Three Bridges Council. Well, sure. But they, yeah. they, want, they, they, want to vote, they want to vote for people to object to whatever the people in power are doing. And as soon as, as, soon as they're in power, they're making their voters complicit with the compromises of power mm. and their voters resent them for it. Anthony, it was a YouGov, I think it was a YouGov uh, poll which showed what had happened to the 48%. So the Lib Dems were sort of running this 48% strategy, they'd hoover up all the remainders, and it turns out they don't exist. And uh, the re-leavers, the people who voted Remain, are now basically say, yeah. like in a restaurant, uh, you know, you've bought me Brexit, but I'm not going to complain, and just, oh, yeah, it's lovely, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll swallow <laughs> it, I hate it, but I'm just going to eat it. Um, and so there's only 22% of people are hardcore Remainers and they want to stop the uh, Brexit happening. And of the Lib Dem poll rating, only about half of those are those people who want to stop Brexit and the other half... 22% is still two and a half times more than they're actually getting. Yeah. Uh, you know, they'd be very happy with 22%. And incidentally, if they were getting those 22%, Labour would probably be back on 25 uh, and so on. Is Tim Fowler the problem? No, no, quite a lot of, no, a lot of Remainers... Uh, and people who are remaining, even people, soft or hard. I mean, I, you know, I have kind of my worries about some of these distinctions as were kind of made by the polls because the questions are kind of quite I'll crude. Try wording soft and hard. No, no, exactly. They're very, exactly. They're very, they're very, very difficult. Um, a lot of Remainers people will be voting for Corbyn, despite the fact that he doesn't represent yeah. their position as well as Tim Farron formally does. A lot of a lot of people who voted Lib Dem in 2015 voted Leave. A lot of those people are no longer voting Lib Dem. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I met, I met numer like, I mean, more people than for it to merely be an anecdotal, who had always been Lib Dems, had gone to UKIP, had voted Leave, now might vote Lib Dem again. You know, I mean, and in, in the sort of in the narrative of Westminster, that's just nonsense. It's the anti-establishment. But it, when it's anti-establishment in in a in a place with a long history of anti-establishment, where your your vote is either Tory or not Tory, it makes sense. Do you think it goes back to the Great Reform Act? Just some, somewhere in Middlemarch, <laughs> who explains these kind of voting divisions. Well, before we have a history lesson, let's get through some uh, more questions. There's still quite a, well, there's quite a lot to get through, actually. Uh, but Ollie Barrett says, when voting, do you think that more people vote for who they want in government or, are, or who they want as their local MP? This is the sort of Labour MP <laughs> campaign strategy, isn't it? So I, I, it's I've, all right, you can vote for me, because Jeremy Corbyn's not going to become Prime Minister. Oh, hang on a minute, he's almost ahead in the polls. I have, I have, a, I have many friends who tell me that they're... That's not that true. They're, oh, I see, OK. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, I, have, I have many, many friends, and some of them tell me that... No, many of them tell me that they're, they're voting Labour, but they're not voting for Jeremy Corbyn. Absolutely, they're not voting for Jeremy Corbyn. They're just voting Labour because their local MP, you know, they think is good and is anti-Corbyn and et cetera, et cetera. So they're voting Labour, definitely not for Jeremy Corbyn. One friend of mine was telling me the other day, he goes, I'm definitely voting Labour, but not for Jeremy Corbyn. Although I do live in Islington, so I am literally voting for Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm voting for Jeremy Corbyn, but not for Jeremy Corbyn. And this is, the, this is, this is what people are doing. This, you know. but, but the logic of this is it's... So candidates are going around saying, it's all right, you can vote for me, for Labour, but it's all right he's not going to be Prime Minister. But if everybody does that, he will be. There's got to be a, like, a, like a really massive WhatsApp group where <laughs> they sort of say, OK, that's enough now. That's enough of those. Well, that's, that, of course, that's an interesting polling question. I mean, at the point at which, and, and we've seen kind of quite a lot of speculation about this, this will be good for Theresa May, the polls narrowing, because it will mean that people will take fright and therefore decide to vote the other way. This will be good also for Jeremy Corbyn, because people will take heart from it, and they're more likely to be, OK, make your mind up, and so on, and actually probably both so are bothered. What's the answer, answer? Overwhelming majority of people still think Theresa May is going to get a majority, so they're not going to start running away from Corbyn next to their But scared. in terms of the young people, who sometimes might tell pollsters or newspaper reporters that they're going to vote one particular way, but they don't go out, actually the real prospect of Jeremy Corbyn becoming Prime Minister might make them... Oh, yeah, it might know, encourage people. This it it of... if, if there is an increase in youth turnout, we'll see, then 
whether part of that is Brexit and Trump and people seeing actually if people go out and vote for unusual things, they can actually win it sometimes. These things can happen if you go and do it. I wish I could set up a new party now and stand in the election, dedicated and stand in London on the sole thing of not letting Trump come to London. Because I reckon I would win most of the seats in London, quite a few in the seats of outer London, simply on that one proposition. Too late. Too late. Do you guys poll on turnout in terms of, you know, can you predict the fact that you think it's going to be quite a low turnout or a bit of a run? No. no it's the one thing we know everyone lies about. They all claim they vote. I remember looking yeah. at this last year before the EU referendum, and we found, I think it was eight times, so whatever the people who said they wouldn't vote, the reality of the turnout was eight times higher. We went, after the polls got it wrong, we went to try and work out the turnout. We actually went round lots of town halls and looked at the marked register. We got the list of the people who lived in that local council and one our panel who said they'd vote. And we went round and looked them up individually and see if they'd been crossed out to work out what percentage of people were lying to us and said, and claim it, oh, I voted when they didn't. And so about, yeah, about 11% or so of people who claimed to vote were. Something like that. So you go panelists, you have been warned. Um, <laughs> But you can also, there are other ways to, to, to skin a cat. I know of an old lady that gets the Lib Dems to take her in the car to the polling booth and invokes Tory when she gets there. Maybe, that, maybe that's, well, that's she what tells she tells you. I've double bluffed. But the, 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 when we start, the idea of people like sort of, you know, voting Labour but not voting for Corbyn, and it's particularly happening in London, it's a, it's a kind of weird transference of the idea of you're the, liberal, you're the metropolitan elite, you don't understand anything. There's it, people going like, well, we can do this because we're the metropolitan elite and we don't understand anything. So our vote has no bearing on the rest of the country. They're not taking responsibility for their own votes, Tot- even. Absolutely they're not. They're basically yeah. saying, I, I, I have no responsibility for the outcome of this, but I'm going to participate okay, okay, on, on the way I want okay, to. Okay, since, I mean, I know that the majority of people voted against even the voting reform for alternative vote. But, you know, it's, it's rich sometimes for people to say, oh, yeah, well, you've got to kind of do this because it's a kind of responsible thing to have to make this choice. When you given us the bloody voting system, which absolutely forces it upon us. I know that we've kind of em, 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 embraced it, etc. But you are stuck if you want to do something else in this country. It's yeah. a real problem. There's old Emmanuel Macron, from one way or another, um, because, partially because of the kind of two-stage vote and also because of other factors as well. On the polls at the moment, to get 400 seats with a party he formed yesterday <laughs> in France, and everybody kind of really likes it, and you think, oh, God, if only... They like it now, let's wait and see. What's the difference? Is the difference just the voting system, or is it that we don't have a Macron, that actually the options being laid before the electorate on Thursday is pretty... But that goes down, a fundamental problem with the way we choose the people that run our country. And if you allow... You You didn't say that when you were running Theresa May's leadership campaign. (laughs) (laughs) On a local level, before they become getting into government. So, you know, a small group of people are choosing... candidates. Yeah, candidates. So if you are in a a constituency office full of people who might be retired, might be very well-meaning and work very, very hard, but actually there's a very small number of people who are choosing who's going to be that next MP, Mm -hmm. who's then going to go and form a government and potentially lead our country Mm. one day. And I'm not not saying that... They're all a bit weird, aren't they? Really, the sort of people who would put themselves. So what you need to do is broaden it out by, let's say, letting people vote for three pounds, and that way you. The winning idea, David. It's not a weird thing that France turns out to have more revolutionary politics than Britain. You know, I mean, it's we don't do dramatic. We, we, I mean, that's what's so remarkable, uh, uh, so remarkable about Brexit that it was a dramatic thing to I know, happen. I know, I know, dramatic but, things um, don't happen in politics. But at what point does phlegmatic become sclerotic? That's the question. It you, is nearly impossible. You to know get exactly. You know, if you are not a Conservative or a Labour candidate, you've got not much hope in getting through and breaking mm. through and, and being an MP. So you would spend all of your time, all of your m- money and effort, getting everybody to help you out for nothing. It is impossible to break through. Yeah. Um, and so did nobody expect any sort of new party after this week? I, d- I mean, I can... I, it There's d- a slight suspicion. It, it, depend- it, depends <laughs> on how, it depends on how Corbyn does. I mean, the, I, the, there was just this massive lack of spine among Labour. You know, you, you spoke to Labour... Labour people a year ago, and they're saying, "Well, no, now is not the time to break away." And then, and then, like six months ago, "Well, no, now is not the time." And speaking to people today, and they're going, "Well, no, immediately after the election, wouldn't be the time." So it's never the time. Like, man up. But that was the, Pull yourself together. They've always, they've always yeah. got a headache. Haven't yeah. they? The time for you to run against him, which was in 2015. Yes. And, and yeah. Dan Jarvis didn't. Chuka didn't. You know, yeah. That was the moment. To that was the moment. But for, we, we are. I'm not going to make any excuses for them, but. 
they are on the doorstep and week in, week out, they're having their house graffitied, they're having stuff posted in yep. letterbox, they are being followed around. You know, I wouldn't want to be a Labour MP, a moderate MP right now, where all these nutters, quite frankly, are making their lives hell. And all they're doing is putting themselves forward to try and be an MP when in the real world they could earn twice as much money and no grief. So it is not easy, but I'd like to think that in time, some of them will grow that kind of grow some balls and, and step forward because I think the country's going to need it. I think the country is crying out for someone that's a proper opposition. I don't like not having a decent opposition. I think it's really bad for politics, bad for democracy. So before we wind up, because we should probably wind up, uh, your highlights and lowlights of the campaign, what's, what's, it could be silly the better. My highlight today is Greg Knight's <laughs> video. If nobody's seen it, <laughs> Pour yourself a cup of tea or a G&T. You better explain who Greg Knight uh, is. Greg Knight is a Tory MP who no one's probably ever heard of. Uh, he's an elderly gentleman. He's not a young sprite. Elderly is a bit strong. Well, OK, maybe. Older. Older. Yeah. Yes, you're right. I shouldn't say elderly. And he's you're the drummer right. in the political band MP4. And he is the drummer on his own ca- very catchy song that he's got in his, fil- <laughs> in his video. So, so have a Google after this. Not now. Uh, look him up, and he, the beginning looks like a man talking in a very Spartan office, quite boringly. And is. <laughs> and is. <laughs> yeah. But just wait for the song at the end. Anthony, what's been your highlight of the campaign? There are no highlights, it's been awful. Surely <laughs> YouGov's model has been a highlight for you. It may be. It may be a, it may be <laughs> a highlight a, to, the exit to see time subs try to explain what your model was on, on our front page. <laughs> and, and, and the worst bit has been a time subs trying to explain what the model was. <laughs> David, is your highlight of the campaign? I, mean, my, I think my highlight in the end is how strong and stable was completely destroyed by weak and wobbly within a day, just by us having somebody else put up the phrase and then it just went. Now, you, you, you'll probably tell me, and I'm sure you're right, Katie, that it had already done its job by then. Um, it's just the cobwebs off it. It's back. It was sort of putting a cover for a couple of days. It's back on the later. <laughs> Hugo? My, my serious highlight was the, was the social care thing, because that's the point at which this election pivoted to, into whatever it's become. But my actual sort of joy of life highlight was, 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 well, no, it was today and it was, it was, it was Theresa May talking about the, the naughtiest thing she'd ever done which was running through a wheat field <laughs> and you kind of think that's, is that it you Probably. know it's like, it's like the, most, the, naughtiest, the naughtiest thing Jeremy What's Corbyn's ever done what's the naughtiest thing is, you've ever done is, Hugo well the naughtiest thing Jeremy Corbyn's ever, uh, ever done is make friends with the IRA you know there's not there's not, <laughs> there's not much compar- and, and you can just you can just, you can just tell she ran through this wheat field you can tell there was a path in the wheat field no, 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 <laughs> ran down I, I think probably mildly scuffing the most dangerous thing that Jeremy Corbyn's probably done is actually lift his onions a week early <laughs> I would say yeah, no, I, I just think it was, it's just this it's a glorious image of Theresa May that this is the, and she was so pleased with herself having she, she well. got the idea of the election I mean, you talk about Cunt Snow Dennis and it immediately brought up the image of how she got the election like Julie Andrews on the, the top of the sound of music and so on it just suddenly came down like a kind of crescendo <laughs> of music and you could say it was composed of the voices of, Kate, voices of Katy Perry or others as a kind of heavenly choir coming down to it so now's the election <laughs> And then down she came. That's my highlight. Yeah. Just, that. Yeah, just that. Just that. <laughs> just that. Yeah. Uh, I think my, my I think two, two of my highlights are both Tim Farrell related. One was him asking a voter to smell his spell. <laughs> so which winner. makes no sense, but it's still, it's still getting me a uh, And the other was when Sky News were broadcasting live from the Lib Dem battle bus. Uh, and the reporter was sitting looking at the camera, and a figure comes down the bus. Uh, in the in the uh, shop behind, and then disappears down the steps to the chemical toilet, and it was Tim Farrell. <laughs> <laughs> just fell down the steps. Which, that might have been the point that the uh, the election um, pivoted for the Dem as well. Um, I think we'll probably finish with Anne Mahaffrey on Facebook, who says, "Roll on Friday, and we'll all be over, and we'll be smiling or crying." We'll be actually negotiating Brexit. I mean, just think about that. It actually all—it actually—it actually all just begins on Friday. Well, on that cheery thought, uh, thank <laughs> you very much for watching. Thanks for posting your comments. Um, I hope we've answered uh, at least some of them, if not all of them. Uh, at least not—we've um, answered some of the least mad ones. Uh, as ever, do sign up to my morning email briefing at thetimes.co.uk/redbox, and I'll be getting up early in the morning to pick through the uh, boring bits of politics so you don't have to. But for now. I'd like to thank Katie Perrier, Anthony Wells, David Iwanovich and Hugo Rifkin. For me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.